Okay, last week was time change uh, week, so that kind of response is totally understandable. Today, you've had a week to catch up, all right? So good morning. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, teaching pastor here for Riverwood. Uh, and if you were here last week, I was not. Uh, I was on a little spring break trip. Uh, the main purpose was to take my son on a college visit. Yes, we are getting to that stage in his life. So it was his very first college visit. He had nothing to compare it to, but we, uh, Lan and I drug him to our alma mater because they have an engineering degree. It's something he's interested in. So we thought we'd start with a small Christian school, and he can also then later look at some larger schools and, and other places. Places. Uh, so we wanted to get that started. Well, our alma mater is in Arkansas, and my brother and his family recently moved there uh, last August. So we took about four or five days to hang out with them. So we got to enjoy 70 degree weather while you guys had snow. Sorry. Not sorry, really. But it was great. Uh, we had a really, really fun time. Um, anyone here heard the phrase, you can't have your cake and eat it too? Okay, yeah, most hands go up. Okay, this is embarrassing to admit. I did not know what that phrase meant until probably about my mid-30s. Like, I, I seriously was like, okay, I have a piece of cake. It's right here in front of me, and I can eat it. It just, it did not make sense. And then one day, it was just like the light went on. Like, oh, once you eat it, you no longer have it. That's why you can't have your cake and eat it too. And yet, so many times in my life, I wish I could. Like, Leanne and I just have this little, like, inside joke where, as we're talking with one another, like, hey, do you want this or do you want this? And we'll just say to each other, I want it all. You know, like, just last night, she, you know, the college wrestling finals were on ESPN, and I love wrestling. And so I told her, hey, like, it's at 6 o'clock. I don't know why they're doing a 6 o'clock start time, but that's right when we eat supper. And she's like, so what do you want? Do you want to eat supper with us upstairs, or do you want to go downstairs and start watching the finals and ignore the rest of us? And I'm like, I want it all. Like, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. Maybe you have found yourself doing something similar. Like, you get some money. You want to spend it and save it. Or, or maybe you want to eat pizza and lose weight. Like, we want it all. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. I think many of us bring this mentality into our faith, into our, 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 our belief in God. Many of us, we believe there is a God. Even if you're not a Jesus follower yet, you, you probably believe there is some sort of benevolent being out there, and so you want the full blessings of that God. And yet at the same time, we want to hold on to some of the things of this world and this earth, even when it may not actually help us in our relationship with that God. We, in a sense, want our cake and want to eat it too. But today, we're going to hear Jesus say, sorry, you can't. You can't have both. You're going to have to sacrifice. And he's going to say it in pretty graphic terms. And so I'm just going to tell you right now, for some of you today might get a little uncomfortable because you've been trying to live your life as a Jesus follower, but yet still hold on to some things. And today God might be saying that I want you to chop it off. I want you to get rid of it because that is not letting you live the life I'm calling you to. That is not letting all of you come to all of me. But if you want to live the life that I believe God calls you to, the life that God has you, has for you, the life that I think deep inside you really want, you're going to have to be ready to say, okay, I cut this off. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would help us as we, uh, as we come to this uh, sermon, this message, the, this passage in the scriptures that, that is going to challenge many of us. It's, it's going to be hard for some of us to hear. So God, I just pray right now you'd make us brave. 
you'd make us courageous that we, we'd be willing to sit here, whether it's in person or, or online or listen to the podcast later, that we would actually stick through this. And, and so, God, I pray that this would not be about me and how well I perform in, in putting this together. That, God, it would be about your Holy Spirit reaching into the hearts and minds of everyone listening to this. That for the, the person who's not a Jesus follower yet, they would hear you calling them. They would hear how much you love them. That they would hear that you're calling them to give up what they think is good for that which is far better. And for those who are your followers, that, they, that today they would hear you calling them to give something up. To give that thing up that is keeping them from being fully yours. That, that, that's causing them to walk this duplicitous life. That they're trying to keep their feet in both camps. And today, they would go all in. They would go all for the sake of your gospel. Because Jesus, you are worth it. So God, help us today to be courageous enough to sit here, to listen to you, and to say, God, I am weak, but you are strong. And that we would come to you seeking your strength to help us live the life you call us to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, if you brought a Bible, I invite you right now to open it up to Mark chapter 9. Uh, if you are a first-time guest with us, uh, we uh, open the scriptures up every single week. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, don't worry about it. We're going to put the scripture up on the screen so you can follow along. But I just really encourage you, next time you come to Riverwood, bring a Bible with you. At Riverwood, we don't care if that's a, a digital Bible or a paper Bible. We just want you to have one. So please, download a Bible to your phone and then use that next time you're here. If you would rather go old school like me and have a, a paper copy of the Bible, just go to Walmart and buy one, or go on christianbook.com, or, or if you just can't afford one, just let us know. S send us an email, or, or just write it on your connection card, and we will bring a Bible to you if you give us your physical address. We'd love you to have one. All right, we've been in Mark chapter 9 for a little while now. Um, today we're going to finish it up before we take about a three-week break around Easter. Uh, next Sunday we'll do Palm Sunday, then Easter Sunday, and we've got a follow-up sermon planned. Um, so today we get to finish up this, this chapter that we've been in for, for a few weeks now. Uh, Ed finished up last week to verse 42, so we're ready to pick it up at verse 43. So join me at Mark 9, starting in verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. All right, so Jesus gets a little bit graphic here. We're talking amputation, bloody actions, fire, Hell, I mean, this sounds like something that's more out of an R-rated action film than something you'd hear from Jesus himself. So what is going on? Well, Jesus is using a teaching technique called hyperbole. Uh, the purpose of hyperbole is to exaggerate things in such a way as to shock the listener to grab a hold of their attention. It, it's kind of like when a dad says to the kid, I've told you a million times, when probably he's only said it eight. But he's trying to shock him. Like, I'm trying to get your attention. Or when a mom yells at her kid, I brought you into this world, I can take you out. Right? We know she's not actually going to murder the child. She's trying to say, don't you dare do that or you're in big, big trouble. It's hyperbole. 
So that means Jesus here is speaking in hyperbole. He's not saying to literally cut off your hand or your foot or your eye. It's figurative. But that might make some of you stop and go, well, wait a second, Aaron. I, I thought we were supposed to take the Bible literally. Well, yes, you were to take the Bible literally when the Bible is being literal. But where God is being figurative, like Jesus is here, you are to take it figuratively. Now, how do I know Jesus is speaking figuratively? Well, look there at verse 43. And if your hand causes you to sin, I, I, I assume most of you have gone to biology class. If you haven't, you'll eventually learn that your hand does not have a little brain in it. Okay, you've got one brain and it's up here. So your hand is not sitting there saying, hey, I know you want to be an honest person. But if you want, but I know you don't want to steal that candy bar, but I'm going to do it anyway. Right? It does not say, hey, that guy's a jerk. I know you want to be nice, but I'm going to punch him in the face. I don't care if that's your boss. Right? Your hand is not going to cause you to sin, nor will your foot, nor will your eye. It is you. It's your sin in nature. The Bible calls it your flesh. Your sinful desires is what leads you to sin. So it's not your hand. It's not your foot. So that he's not saying to literally cut off these appendages. So therefore, what is he saying? He's basically saying, you can't have it all. You, you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't hold on to sin and have this full relationship with God. You have to choose. Because God is glorious. He's majestic. He's, he's unfathomable. He's incomparable. He is holy. He is pure. And so you cannot bring sin into his presence because sin is dirty and twisted and broken and marred and disgusting. So you cannot bring that into the full presence of God. And so Jesus is saying, you're going to have to choose. And he says it in this really shocking, over-the-top way. You're going to have to cut it off. Now, when you look at it, it doesn't really seem like he's giving us much of a decision. I mean, it sounds like we've got to make a decision. Do I want God or do I want my sin? But, but yet, the way he puts it, it, it's pretty drastic. Like, why would anyone want this? Well, I mean, in fact, look at how he describes. Look down there at verse 48. He, he, he's, he's continuing this over-the-topness. He's saying uh, the last word in verse 47 is hell. And then he describes hell in verse 48. It says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Now, if you were more uh, aware than I was when I was first reading through this, you may have noticed that there's not a verse 44 or 46. But mo the rest of you who are like me, you're going, wait, really? There's no 44 and 46? Yeah, most modern translations do not have verses 44 and 46. Now, is that because like, there's something really embarrassing there? So we have to like, cut it out to like, avoid the embarrassment? Or maybe is there something there that would like, cause Christianity to absolutely crumble? No. Verses 44 and 46 simply say exactly what verse 48 does. It's just that the, the dudes who put to all the little numbers in there to try and help us find things, they were working off a manuscript that had what we now know as verses 44 and 46. So they put those on there. But as more and more manuscripts have been discovered that have, have helped us get closer to the original, the most reliable manuscripts have not, do not have what we now know as verses 44 and 46. And so actually, this is not a problem, an embarrassment to Christianity. This is actually something that should give us confidence that the Bible we're reading is reliable. Because there are Bible scholars willing and brave enough to say, oh, that does not appear to be original. Because we have these other manuscripts that are more reliable, 
that's not in there. So they actually have the, done the brave thing and taken them out because they want us to have the truth. However, even if you have a Bible that leaves 44 and 46 in there, it really doesn't change anything theologically because they merely repeat what verse 48 says. And verse 48 simply tells us that hell is a place where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So it's still there. Jesus still is describing. Now, the word that Jesus uses for hell is the word Gehenna. Gehenna just simply means the valley of Henna. It was a valley outside the city of Jerusalem, and I know many of you know this. It was a garbage dump. Well, to deal with their garbage, they would burn a lot of it to help break it down. But also, like rotten food get thrown out there. Um, there, there would sometimes be, you know, like a, a dead animal or something, so it would get thrown out there. And so flies would be around. They would plant their eggs. Those eggs become maggots, and so you have these worms. So you've got the fire going on constantly, and the maggots that are there. So it's not exactly a pleasant location. Like no, no one's going, hey, let's go visit Henna, Gehenna today. That'd be kind of fun. Right? It, it's just it's it's got a bad smell. All the smoke, the worms. It's disgusting. But it's more than that. I learned this week from uh, Tom Constable, a longtime uh, uh, seminary professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, that uh, Gehenna was also the location that a bunch of apostate Jews back in Old Testament times would take humans and sacrifice them to the false god of Moloch. So it's a location where sin, very sinful things were taken, done by very sinful people. So not only does it have a bad smell, where it's full of smoke and there's all these worms it's also this place where some really evil things took place. Jesus basically grabs a hold of this imagery of Gehenna and uses it to shock his listeners. Basically saying, this is what hell is like. And honestly, hell is probably worse. By the way, I realize we live in a nation where a lot of people don't believe there is a hell. We, we love the idea of heaven, but they don't really think there is a hell. But Jesus teaches about hell. He actually teaches about hell more than anyone else in the scriptures. And so here he is, talking about hell, trying to help us see, here's how bad it really is. Just as Gehenna is this place that no one would want to go, the same with the real hell. It's not a place anyone would want to go. And it has this bad reputation, this bad smell. It's not where you want to end up. Jesus uses it to startle us, to make us realize, you don't want this. <laughs> is it really a decision? Like, as you, as you now look at it, like, huh, let me think. Do I want God and all the pleasantries of heaven, but maybe lose a hand or an eye in the process? Or would I like to keep both hands and keep both eyes, but live in the trash dump? Like, it doesn't seem like much of a decision at all. I, I imagine you are a parent, and you suddenly realize your child is trapped inside of a house that's on fire. Like, you wouldn't even stop to think, huh, do I run in and get my child and risk getting burned and having those burn scars the rest of my life? Or do I let my child die, but I have pleasant skin? This is a tough one. Like, no, the parent realizes my child's not here. They rush in at the peril of their own life to try to rescue them. And if later they were, you know, asked about it, like, well, I didn't think the fire department would get there in time. Like, it's not even a decision. They rush in and they just do it. That's kind of, as we read what Jesus is saying, it's just like, well, this is obvious. Yeah, you cut it off. You get rid of that, which is bad and evil, which is going to put you in Gehenna so that you can have God. And yet we struggle. Like if you think about your life, <laughs> this should be obvious. And yet how many of us continue to go back to our sin? <laughs> That's what makes addiction so evil. 
is because it lies to us saying, hey, if you'll just drink another one, if you'll just smoke another, if you just open another browser window, if you'll just give into this, I promise you pleasure, relief, release, just come. And we give into that. We take a hold of it, trying to have our cake and eat it too. And yet usually it just complicates the matter all the more, actually making things worse in the process. And you would think we'd learn, but what do we do? We hear the whisper again, and pretty soon we're right back at it. And Jesus is saying, if you want this, you're going to have to cut it off. You see, I think Jesus knows this is hard. Just look at verses 49 and 50. Jesus says, for everyone will be salted with fire. The salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, this gets just a little bit confusing. My first time through, it's kind of like, wait, what, what is Jesus talking about? All right, let's just break it down in verse 49. Notice he says it's for everyone. All right, Jesus is not being figurative here. Now it's literal. Literally, this is for everyone. And what is for everyone? They will be salted. Right? In, in Jesus' day, we've talked about this before, but in Jesus' day, salt was not used just merely as a condiment to make food, the flavor taste good and help give us high blood pressure. Like it was used as a preservative. You would sprinkle it onto your meat, you'd rub it in because they did not have refrigeration. And so if you wanted to keep your meat from spoiling, keep it from having maggots, you would use this salt. But notice he uses a verb form of the word. He doesn't just talk about salt itself. He says we will be salted with fire. Well, he just got done talking about Gehenna, this garbage dump where there is always a fire going, burning and breaking down the trash. So he's talking about the, we got to tie the two together. They're, they're in context with one another. So he's saying that the fires of Gehenna or the fires of hell, as difficult as that is, everyone will be salted with fire. Some of that fire is going to come into light. Everyone will be salted with it. In other words, you will be tempted, you will go through struggle, you will have trials in this life, and everyone will go through it. The, the scriptures teach this. If, if you look at Paul's letter to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says that temptation is common to man. All of us will face it. Even Jesus himself was tempted. So none of us is going to escape this salting we will be salted with fire. That's why Jesus says, you've got to be proactive and cut this off. Because if you don't, if you leave the option, if you leave it available, guess what's going to happen? When the temptation comes, you're salted with fire, you're going to go and give in. That's why some people have to take very drastic measures to help them avoid the salting. I, I know one uh, gentleman who in the, uh, his fight against uh, his lust, he's very drawn to online pornography. And so he's actually set it up where he does not have the password to his phone, nor to his computer, his wife does. So if he wants to download an app, he has to give his phone to her, say, okay, you, you get, I, I want this app. Because he knows if he has the access to it, he, the temptation comes, he's going to find his way and get to those things. So he's cut it off. Now I hear that and I think the dude's crazy. I don't think I could do it. And yet, I admire him for his willingness to cut it off for the sake of his wife, for the sake of his kids, for the sake of his reputation, for the sake of his relationship with God. Sometimes it means you have to do something really drastic to cut it off because the temptation will come. But I, 
I, I have some really, really bad news for you. Like, this, this is going to make some of you think I'm a really bad preacher. Because I'm encouraging you in one hand to go and cut off the hand, to cut off the foot, to stab out the eye. And yet, my bad news is this. You can't do this. In your own strength, in your own power, you can't do it. That, that sounds like an insult, I realize, especially to us as Americans. Like last night as we were watching those college wrestling finals, uh, every guy who won would then get interviewed by ESPN. And a couple of the guys were like, man, everyone was against me, and I just took that as motivation to go out there and show everyone. Like when someone says, you can't do this, it, it makes us want to go, oh, yes, I can. And, and on a short-term level, you can. Like some, some of you today, as, as you've been hearing me speak, you in your mind know this is the thing I've been holding on to. Like I, I want God, I want this relationship with him, but I, I've been holding on to this. And so you're going to log off or you're going to walk out of here and you're going to say, that's it. I'm unsubscribing from Netflix. I, I, I am going to you know, do what that one guy did and I'm going to give my wife the passwords. Like I'm going to go home and I'm going to dump out all the bottles. I'm going to give my credit card to someone else. I'm going to, I'm going to cut it up. I'm going to do all these drastic things. I'm going to cut off the hand so I can do this. Problem is, a few weeks or months from now, you're just going to end up subscribing to Hulu. You're going to find another credit card. You're going to just end up in that grocery store aisle. You're going to find yourself back with those friends. You're going to once again be yelling at the kids or yelling at your spouse. You see, we say this all the time. I'm not going to do it anymore. And yet, our own history shows us we can't do this in our own strength and our own power. <laughs> not very inspiring, is it? And yet, there is good news in this. That while you can't do this in your own strength and power, God can you see, here's how God describes humanity. This is Romans 3. The Apostle Paul, while writing this letter to the church in Rome, he basically takes all the teaching from the Old Testament. So he has, these are direct quotes straight from the Old Testament, no, a number of sources, and he just collects them all into one passage. This is Romans 3, 10 uh, through uh, 18. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. All right, now, if that doesn't depress you, you either don't have a pulse or you're just doing a fantastic job of ignoring me. That, that right there just makes us go, what? But yet, that is how God sees humans. He knows the truth. We live in our little world, and we can puff ourselves up thinking, hey, I'm something. I can do this. I can go out there, and I can chop off the hand. I can, I can do this in my own strength. And yet, when we kind of back out to God's view, we suddenly realize we are nothing but a speck of dust in Waverly, Iowa, in the United States, on Earth, that's in one solar system that's in the corner of the universe. Compared to God, we're nothing. And that's why God looks at us and says, yeah, no one is good. And yet 
he is good. And he loves us deeply and infinitely. Most of us, we ignore the dust in our house. God looks at us and says, my image is in you. You matter the world to me. And that is why Jesus went to the cross so that this speck of dust could find true life in Christ. That's why you can't do this in your own, but God can do this in you and through you. You see, the scriptures teach that when you give your life to Christ, all right, so, so listen up. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is true about you. You may not feel it, but this is the truth. That if your life is in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to you. And Paul describes the Holy Spirit in Romans 8 as the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And it now dwells in you. And so the most foolish thing you could do after hearing Jesus say, you've got to chop up your hand, is to go out and take these drastic measures, trying to do it in your own strength. Instead, you need to walk out and say, God, I can't do this. I'm weak, but you are strong. So help me to lean upon your Holy Spirit and not try to do this through my own spirit. If you need an example, look to Jesus. Here, here's Jesus, fully God, and yet through the incarnation becomes fully man. It wasn't like he, he stopped being God. He was still fully God, but yet he took on full humanity. He knew what it was to be hungry, what it was to be tired. I mean, he understood, and he even understands temptation. So all I have to do is go to Matthew chapter 4. Start reading through there, and you see Jesus go into the wilderness where he begins to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. No food. He's all alone. And suddenly, at the end of those 40 days, Satan shows up. Satan, knowing he's hungry, says, turn that stone into bread. Now, if that had been me, I had a caved right there. Oh, that's a great idea. But Jesus doesn't. But, but again, Jesus, fully God, could have said, Satan, get away from me. No, I will not do that. I do not serve you. I'm not going to obey you. That's not what Jesus does. He does not rely even on his own authority, even though he could. Instead, he shows us a better way. He goes and relies upon God's word. And he says, the word of God says, man does not live by bread alone, but by the very words of God. And then Satan takes him to another spot, tempts him again. Same thing, Jesus relies on God's word. A third temptation comes. Satan tries it again. Basically, you can avoid the cross, and Jesus goes back to the word of God. So yes, I want to encourage you. Some of you, God is going to lead you today to go and cut off something. You're going to need to take a drastic step. So to, it helps you when that, that salting comes. However, you cannot just chop it off and say, I got this from now on. You need to go rely upon God. In fact, let's just, let's just play a little mind game for a second. Let's just pretend that you actually can do this on your own strength and your own power. That you, that you walk out of here, you cut off the hand, you, you, know, you end this thing, and, and it is no more in your life. You manage to accomplish it. At the end of it all, who gets the glory? You do. But Jesus did not tell you to cut off your hand so that other people would look at you and go, wow, you are so brave. I, I couldn't have done that. Man, you are so courageous. That's, you just inspire me. That's not why he's saying cut off your hand so that you can get the attention. He's saying, cut off the hand so that you can get rid of that which is keeping you from him. So even if you could do this in your own strength and power, you shouldn't try to do it in your own strength and power. 
Because God is saying, cut it off so that you can give all of you to him. You see, this is a spiritual journey. This isn't about trying to set you up to look like something great. This is about you coming to God and realize just how great he is. See, God is trying to rescue you from your duplicitous life because he knows that your duplicity, as you try to hold on to both things, it's actually ruining you from the inside. And he wants to rescue you from that. So he doesn't want you going out of here trying to do it in your own strength and power. He's saying, come to me. Come to me, you who are weary and weak, and I will give you rest. I will give you strength. I will help you through this. So you've got to come back to the gospel. So the best thing you can do is not walk out of here or log off saying, okay, God, I'm going to be strong. The best thing you can do is walk out of here and say, God, I am weak, but you are strong. And so you've got to go to the scriptures. You've got to go to the, him in prayer. You've got to go to him in song. You've got to get with other believers who are going to encourage you in your faith. And you put all these things in place to help you be the follower of Jesus God calls you to be. Now I realize some of you here whether you're online or you're in person, that perhaps you aren't a follower of Jesus yet. And maybe you would apply the word Christian to yourself because you grew up in a Christian home. You went to church on Christmas and Easter. Like, you, you know this, but if you're really honest with yourself, you have not fully given your life to Christ yet. And now you're hearing that Jesus is saying, you can't have your cake and eat it too. That you've been trying to hold on to him, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. He's good. I want his blessings. But yet you are, are trying to hold on to your life. You're trying to control these things. And today God is saying, I want you to let it go. Most people, when they realize this, they, they, they mark that moment in prayer. They, they cry out to God, saying, God, I realize I am a sinner. But now I'm hearing that Jesus loved me so much. He went to a cross to die for my sin. So my sin is now paid and washed away. So Jesus, because you gave your life for me, I now give my life to you. And because Jesus, you went through what was so incredibly hard and difficult, I will now go through the difficult thing of cutting this off so that I can have all of you. But that same prayer that is for those of you who aren't followers of Jesus yet, it's also a similar prayer that those of you who would say, I follow Jesus, that you need to pray. Because if you're honest with yourself, there are some things in your life that you're holding on to. And Jesus is saying, that right there, I want you to let it go. If you look at it, there's really no decision to be made here. Because compared to Jesus, that thing is nothing. It's nothing but a trash dump. The smoky and worm-filled. So give it up. But don't do it alone. Rely on God's power and strength. Go to the scriptures, allowing to put other people in your life who will help you in this journey of letting go of these things as hard as it might be. I don't know about you. I don't think I could hold my hand out and chop it off. It was like full of gangrene and, and was infecting me. I don't think I could do it. I don't think I have the strength. But if I had others there helping me, saying, Aaron, this is the best. This is going to protect you. This is going to help you. You need to do this. Then I think we could do it. So don't go this alone. Rely on God. Rely on his Holy Spirit. Rely on his word and rely on him to put the people in your life who will help you. Because Jesus wants to rescue you from your duplicity. Because he knows you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't have both God and hold fully on to your sin. He wants you to let it go. So Heavenly Father, I just pray right now that you would give us the strength and courage to do this. The first, uh, to have the courage and strength to say, God, I can't. And yet, to be willing to say, you can. 
And so God, right now in these next holy moments, as, as we partake of the communion elements, would you just minister to us? Would you just surround us with your Holy Spirit? God, right now, for the, the person who's really dealing with some deep addiction, that, that you would give them the courage to say no to it and that they'd be willing to put in place the things that they need to, to, to take it away. But God, even as we stumble in our addictions, even as we keep returning back to these sins, would you help us to fall towards grace, to fall towards you, to, to lean on the gospel and to let that become our identity? So God, would you just work right now? Would you minister to your people? Would you, would you help them? to come to you. God, I pray for the person right now that, that does not know you, has not given their life to you. Right now, God, would you just move their heart to pray this simple prayer? God, I confess my sin. I own up to it. And I now put my faith in you that in my life is no longer about me. My life is now all about you. Because you, Jesus, were willing to go to the cross to die for this speck of dust. And you now say, I have infinite worth. So because, Jesus, you have resurrected me spiritually from the dead, I now give my life fully to you. And God, for those who are Jesus followers, as they partake of these, these communion elements, as they take that bread, as they take that cup, that they would take that and say, God, you gave up your son for me. And Jesus, you gave up your life for me. And so because you did this, I now give this up. But God, I can't. I'm weak I keep returning to my sin. I'm like a dog going back to his vomit. I don't know why I do this, God. But Jesus, you are stronger than this. You are greater than this. And you can give us victory through the cross. So God, I just pray right now that you would encourage us as you also give us the guts to say, I'm weak. That as we take these elements, we'd realize that you are the one who was strong. You were the one strong enough to go through the cross. You were the one strong enough to take up your life again. You were the one strong enough to put your spirit into us. And so you are the one who is strong enough to help us through the salting fire of this life. So God, would you just minister right now as we pray, as we sing, as we partake, as we cry, as we lean on you. Because God, we are yours Help us to fully belong to you and to nothing else. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.